Many people get into the music business organically by just starting a label or becoming an artist. But in the past decades, a lot of very strong music programs have been built at colleges and universities around the country. What are music education programs doing to prepare the next generation of music business executives to succeed? Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. On today's episode, we talk about music education and the next generation of music executives. It's all coming up on the future of what? Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange, which provides royalty solutions and advocacy to ensure all music creators are paid what they are owed. You're listening to the future of what? I'm talking to Serona Elton of the University of Miami. Serona, welcome to the future of what? Thank you very much for having me. I'm so happy to have you. This is fun. So, this episode, it's kind of, I think, just like a philosophical episode because I want to talk to people who are teaching music business classes today about the changes in the industry. And, you know, you've been doing this for a while. You've got a lot of interesting experience to draw upon. But, you know, just getting people ready to become professionals in this industry strikes me as something that is kind of hard to do because the industry is constantly changing. It's definitely challenging. I've always thought, you know, this must be a lot harder than teaching, you know, history (laughs) because of how often things change. But I think, you know, there's a philosophy you can take about the way you go about it that sets up your students for success. And so for me, what I think is really important is not just teaching about how a particular activity is done right now, because, you know, from an academic perspective, you're preparing people for a career. It's it's not a training session, right? Right. So teaching them, you know, h- how things are working today, but layering that on top of a strong foundation about how the industry all works as an ecosystem right. is what I think really prepares them. Because if you don't have a strong foundation, then as things change, you won't necessarily understand how to adjust with them. You won't know how has the industry tackled this kind of change before. You won't know what fundamentally is different about this new thing. What can we learn from other examples of how that thing is handled in different verticals within the music industry? So, for example, let's say something changes about the way something is done in the recording side of the business. Well, if you have a broad foundation, you would know if that's something also done on the music publishing side of the business. And if so, how do they do it, right? What could the recorded side learn from the publishing side on that particular topic? But without that kind of broad foundation of knowledge, you'll just be struggling with the one problem staring you in the face rather than putting it in context. Well, absolutely. And of course, you know, knowing that there is a recorded side and a publishing side to just to begin with is like (laughs) a pretty big deal because a lot of times, yeah, I mean, so many of the people who become actual musicians like don't even really understand that and it takes them a long time. 
But what I always say on this show is that the history of the music business is a patchwork of historical accidents. <laughs> and I think it's really important that people understand what those historical accidents are and how they happened, how they came about and, you know, where they positioned us. I mean, for example, the whole term publishing, you know, the sheet music for player pianos, like if you don't know the details, it's not going to make any sense to you, which I think is one of the reasons why publishing is so hard to explain to new artists because they're just like, why is it called publishing? Is it like a book? Like what's happening? Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I think understanding the business is really critical so, you know, what has been the most challenging aspect, would you say, like over your years of teaching, like what part do students really struggle with in terms of the history of the music industry? Well, I don't know that they struggle with the history. I think what I see them struggle with are some of the very modern, very, very modern day granularity and complexity around the way music is exploited and who gets paid and how they get paid and how much they're going to get paid, how that's determined. You know, I think once upon a time, it was much simpler. You know, you had radio airplay and you had records, you know, and so you could really break things into public performance or production. And, you know, here's how you got permission for that. And here's how that rate was set and who was paid. But now, even when I'm describing digital to my students, you know, that's a broad term, digital. If you start looking at exactly how does digital work, you have different answers, whether you're talking about audio or video, whether you're talking about on demand or non-interactive, right? The word streaming is way too broad a statement. You know, do you mean streaming audio, video, on demand, non-interactive? Because those four like dimensions, if you will, or the two dimensions, audio or video versus interactive or non totally different set of rules about who gives who permission, how much do they pay them, what's the flow of revenue, totally different answers. Right. And so that's the complexity that the industry didn't see before, having to really understand it even, you know, more granularly than historically. I think that's that is something that definitely takes multiple exposures of a student to really start grasping that in multiple classes. They need to learn about it in copyright and then they learn about it again in music publishing and then learn about it again in the record business. Those are three different courses and they need to hear it over and over again for it to really click what the differences are from a business perspective about those models. Whereas, you know, a music consumer might just say, I'm streaming. I don't know. Streaming is streaming. But it's not, you know, it's it's much more complicated than that. So that's one of the challenges I think that we see. Definitely. So I think anecdotally, I would just say, you know, with no experience of this at all, you know, anecdotally, I would say that a lot of people go into music business programs thinking, I'm going to be an A&R person because that's the <laughs> sexy job, right? That's, yeah. the, that's the cool job. But what do you find students gravitating towards when they start to really get into the meat of, you know, what the music business is about in terms of an academic program? Well, you know, and you're exactly right. That's that standard, you know, freshman kind of, that's what they want to be. And they don't really even know what A&R really means when <laughs> right. they come in, but they just mean, I'm going to get to just discover really cool bands and right. musicians, right? right? And so when I start seeing that change is actually as early as sort of the introductory class, you know, almost all music business programs, if not all, have the first class students take, you know, the first introduction to the music business class. It's pretty standard in most schools curriculum. And it's in that class, it's the first time they really start understanding what is the music industry. 
you know, what are these different types of parties in the industry? What is a performing rights organization? What is a music publisher? What is a digital music service from a business perspective? And those all involve, you know, jobs and career paths that they had no idea about until they first encountered them in this introductory course. And so over the course of then the rest of their education, I would say people don't, at least my students, don't tend to lean towards any one part of the industry. You know, there'll be a group of kids that are super, you know, heavy into social media and are going to lean towards marketing, you know, and social media type of marketing because that's where they're just comfortable already as a consumer and they want to grow, you know, build on that from a career perspective. But then I'll also have another student that, you know, they light up when they take music copyright or a music contract class and say, I want to be, I want to be a music lawyer, you know, and that's the path they're going to go down. And then, I do, of course, still have some that want to be involved in A&R and they want to work very, very closely with artists. They kind of lean towards A&R or even artist management. But, you know, you never know when I'll just have that one kid that sparks up when they learn about information standards and they're like, wait a minute, computers, like software information, you know, I love that kind of stuff. I want to be involved in that side of the industry. So... I wouldn't say if I looked at my graduates over time that they happen to skew towards any one part of the industry. I think they go across the whole industry. And I'm proud of that because to me, that says it's a reflective of the fact that we really expose them to all the different segments of the industry. You know, any given academic program, the unique blend of the faculty members at that program are going to really give that program its flavor, right? And if you have, let's say, all of your professors are all very similar and they all come from the marketing side and making that up, then it wouldn't be shocking if a lot of the students coming out of that program tended to lean towards marketing because that was sort of the lens they looked at most things through. And so, you know, the best programs are exposing their students to all the different parts of the industry because students come in all kinds of, you know, sizes and shapes in terms of interest. You know, some want to be at a desk all day working with spreadsheets. Some want to be out in the clubs, right? Some want to be, you know, on social media all day. So there isn't one size fits all. And I love seeing the different segments of the industry our students go into. Definitely. So how do you guys handle internships? Do internships play a big role in your curriculum? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we emphasize them really, really strongly. And, you know, our students generally do them in the summers. That's pretty popular for, I think, students across the country, really, because it can be difficult to manage, you know, a 20-plus hour a week internship during the fall or spring while you're doing your coursework. So students tend to do them in the summers. Students tend to do them all over the country. You know, there's the obvious hubs in terms of New York, LA, Nashville, Miami, especially for Latin music. But, you know, we remind our students that the music industry includes everything from live music to digital music services, you know, Amazon Music. I've got students working in Seattle, right? To even instrument companies and their need to market and have relationships with artists that they are, you know, are endorsing their products. Once they realize how broad it is, then, you know, there's music industry places you can intern really across the country, everywhere. So we strongly encourage our students to do them multiple internships before they're done. 
we let them know about opportunities we're aware of, but, you know, we actually more emphasize not just looking at what we tell them about in terms of, hey, you know, Sony is looking for interns, but instead we tell them how to think about, you know, what segment of the industry do you want to intern in? What geographic location do you want to be in for this summer? And here's how to find companies in that town that might do that kind of work that you could then reach out to. And here's how to reach out and here's what to say. And here's how to make sure your resume looks good. And then it's really in the student's hands to secure that internship. But we give them what they need in order to to go out and do that. Yeah, I think that's such an important part, especially with the music industry. I mean, it's so hands-on. You really need to sort of get in there and and get an internship and get into a company and see what people really do on the ground. I think that's invaluable. Oh, it's critical. We we talk about it when we have students coming that are thinking about coming to study with us. We tell them how important it is when they go through an orientation. Once they're actually studying with us, we emphasize it. We like continually emphasize how important it is because it really does a couple of things. There's the hands-on work experience that's invaluable, right? I can create all kinds of university-based opportunities for experiential learning that are fantastic, but they still are no replacement for actually being at a company in the field doing something, right? Right. And it gives them a networking opportunity. You know, they start building their own sort of champions of people who will be willing to recommend them for paid jobs once they graduate, who might serve as mentors. You know, all of that sort of relationship building begins or it grows significantly when they're out there in the offices, you know, or at the clubs or wherever the internship takes them, working with professionals and making a great impression. They start building that team of people who are going to help them get that, you know, that job and then maybe even be lifelong mentors for them. Absolutely. I I know I've just moved to Nashville myself three months ago. And so far, all the people that I've met who are at Belmont mm-hmm. have like eight internships under their belts. Yeah. I mean, they're just, it's incredible the breadth of experience that these kids have gotten for themselves. I think that's a really great thing that music programs are doing because it's, you know, it's like you really do need to get into the trenches to understand how this industry works. You have to. You absolutely have to. So not only will you learn about whatever, you know, segment of the music industry your internship is in, but it also starts helping you, you know, learn how to transition from being a student to being a professional, you know, getting to work on time, figuring out how to dress appropriately for the office, sending emails that are, you know, written in a professionally appropriate way. Those are things that students need to learn just as importantly as the substance of what they're doing all day that, you know, help set them up for success once they graduate. Absolutely. So let me just ask you for my own curiosity, have you seen much of a demographic shift in your student population over the last few years? I haven't in particular. Nothing that I could comment on. Is there anything that you're seeing nationally that's making you think to ask that question? Well, I just wonder because, you know, I feel like 25 years ago in the music industry, there were a lot fewer women in the top positions. But now I feel like it's like we got this really deep bench of women and people of color who now are being able to be brought up into higher positions. And I think that that's why we're seeing so many sort of this explosion of women and people of color sort of being evident in the music industry in in a way that they really weren't in the past, because I think it took like 20 years for these people to sort of move up through the ranks. I just think that's interesting. And I wonder if that's a trend that started 20 years ago and if you've seen anything different just in the last five or 10 years or or really what, because I'm just, I'm ignorant of who's coming into music business programs. 
Right. Well, you know, I'm not aware of any broad trends across music business education, but that's that's a great question to tackle. And and I was the president and I'm a very big supporter of an organization called the Music and Entertainment Industry Educators Association. We pronounce it MIA. And that would be a fantastic topic for them to, you know, sink into. I think in terms of what I can speak to, every program, academic program, it has its own sort of profile that is heavily related to the school that it's in, the university that it's in, and its own, you know, geographic location. So, for example, my program, academic program, is in a school of music currently. And what that means today, although we're exploring broadening this, in order to study in my program as an undergraduate, it's not true for our master's, but for an undergraduate degree, you must be a musician and you must pass, you know, pretty rigorous audition. And so that inherently has its own demographic consequences, you know, for better or worse, that then trickle through to the music business program, even though they're not really about music business as a profession. Got it. You know, whereas other schools that are perhaps not in a music school, because sometimes the program's in a business school or it's in an arts and sciences school or communication school, like we're not all the same, they may have, you know, a different population that they're drawing upon. You know, they may be a state school, very locally based. They have a lot of commuter students, in which case the demographics of where the school is, is going to influence the demographics of the program. So, you know, I think different schools may be experiencing trends in demographic changes that may or may not be reflective of the discipline. You know, they may be the consequence of broader influences in terms of their university and, you know, the kinds of students that are studying in a music school or a business school. So I haven't seen any kind of trends that I could speak to that I would relate to the discipline itself, but it's a fascinating question. (laughs) You know, I'm just interested because I really, I feel like we're seeing the difference now that 25 years ago, I remember talking about all the time when I was in, you know, punk bands and we were being riot girls and, you know, wondering where all the women were in the music industry. And and I feel like suddenly we're seeing them, but it's not something that happened overnight, clearly. No, no, for sure. I don't know the exact statistics. I wouldn't want to cite them, but we've had many women come up through our program. And, you know, I was a student doing our master's program in the early 90s, and it was more than 50% females in my class. So, you know, I, I think it may be that, you know, it takes time from people pursuing a degree to then moving up the ladder in the business world to get to a certain level of success. So some of these changes might have started a long time ago. And and now you're seeing, you know, 15 years later, that kind of career progression. My program here, and I haven't gotten the impression from some of my colleagues at other schools that our programs have leaned more heavily towards more male students than female. I don't have any evidence to that that I could back it up. But for my program, we have not skewed more male than female. I've never seen that. That's interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. Well, I don't want to take any more of your time. So Sarona Elton is an associate professor at the University of Miami Frost School of Music. And thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What? Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been my pleasure.
was Belly of June by Horse Feathers. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Joe Rapola from Monmouth University. Joe, welcome to The Future of What. Thank you, Portia. It's wonderful to speak with you today on this great program. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to have you. And I'm excited to talk about music education because I think the people that you work with, the kids you work with, are the music executives of tomorrow. And honestly, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how you do it. This industry is so ridiculously complicated and crazy. I mean, do you basically just sit kids down on the first day and go like, okay, you're not going to believe this, but (laughs) in 1920. Right. (laughs) We do spend a little time with that. You know, I walked into my first class ever because, I mean, I got into academia a few years back. Now Now it's seven, believe it or not. I can't believe I'm saying that. And remember feeling obligated to talk to them about how the music business has changed. And I say feeling obligated because in my capacity at the labels and the agency we had before that, you know, we were always looking at what was coming next and not getting hung up on the way business had been done. 
But, you know, it was around that early 2000s, mid-2000s, you know, when we were really going, the business was really going through kind of a painful period trying to figure out how they were dealing with all these new models and platforms. And, you know, that message had gotten out to kind of the, the rest of the world. So I, that, that, oh, the music business has really changed. And of course, you and I and all the folks we know know it's, yeah, it's changed and it's always changed and changing and it's changed since, like you said, 1920 and before. But it was funny because I'd, I'd walk in and I'd, I'd say, so let's survey how, you know, what's everybody think about the business and where your interest lies and introduce the fact that, you know, how the, the business is operating now. And at first I would get some uptake with that but because, you know, I, when I got there in, I guess, 2013, these guys were born in 1996 or seven. And so there were 10 you know, when you come to start to be aware of your music identity and 11, 12, you know, when these platforms were introduced, but still new. So I'd get a little uptake there. But after a while, I started realizing, okay, you know what? They're not really connecting with the whole change aspect because now they're born in 2000 and some even 2002. Can you believe it? And so at 10, all the platforms that exist now, all the way people are discovering and consuming and, and producing and promoting music, they grew up with all that. They, they don't know a world without that. And so we spend a little time with that, and it's fun, but we, we really focus more on the here and now because, you know, that's, that's really what's going to prepare them for what is going on right now and remind them how this is a dynamic industry and they have to kind of stay lockstep with it as it moves through its evolution. So what you're saying is there's always been change. <laughs> and the, yeah, exactly. And, and being prepared for that in this industry is is just like, you know, par for the course. That's what, what you have to tell kids. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they come to us because, like you and I, right, we, we, you know, we've got this affliction. We've got this, you know, this light that's, that's pulled us towards the business, and, and, and there's no escaping that. But they walk in with a very limited perspective on what that means. They just know they need to be in or around it. And we want to introduce to them and familiarize them and have them really take the blinders off and just see all the possibilities. And, you know, just look at all the, the folks that we know through the years and their careers and how they've kind of, you know, there's no direct path in a lot of aspects. It's not like, well, you if you're an accountant, you go get your CPA and you become an accountant. You're a doctor, you go get your residency and you go become a doctor and an airline pilot. But in this business, for sure, you know, you've got to be a, a little more flexible in your in your thinking. And the more that we can make sure that they see all of the channels and all of the ways that you can have a, a viable living in this business, the better. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about, I mean, I like my analogy of like, okay, it's 1920. Are you guys ready? <laughs> <laughs> I'm fascinated because I feel like students who want to get into the music business might often have like a real misconception about what that means. You know, like I feel like going in, you have this sort of like idea that it's this sexy industry where you get to hang out with celebrities and, you know, everyone wants to be an A&R guy. How does that evolve, like, over the course of being part of a program, like the music program? You're absolutely right, and it, and it evolves slowly. And if we're successful, most of our guys get that by the time they're going through and, and completing the program. We've given them enough opportunities to see that. 
you're absolutely right. They walk in, and I'll speak with prospective students, and we'll come back to prospective parents, and, and sometimes the fear in their eyes <laughs> when they hear their kid wants to study music. And like I said, in those, those first classes, I don't get to, to write a lot on the board when I say, okay, so tell me some of the jobs that you're interested in the music business. You know, like you said, it, it usually starts with A&R, probably has manager in the answer, and producer oh, yeah. is always a role that everybody seems to have a familiarity with, Yes, whether they understand what it really involves, but that the term. And then after that, it's kind of like, I don't really know. Yeah. And so we'll have a lot of fun and we'll go through exercises where we'll, you know, kind of throw a song on the board and walk that through and all the people that have to touch that song in some capacity to get it through all of the ways that it's being distributed and, and consumed and, and utilized in all areas of the market. And then we make sure we have them in front of the right folks and we have the right courses in front of them to make sure that they get that broad introduction to the business. Your predecessor, Jim Donio, we had him teach a music industry ecosystem course where he would kind of go through almost the program guide for the conference and and lay out over 14 weeks and in a little bit more of a systematic, organized way, all of the players that are involved in today's music business. And then we'll give them some of the practical aspects and some of the hands-on components that they can link to what they're learning in the classroom. We started a student-run record label called Blue Hawk Records. We're making our 16th compilation EP this semester. We make one in every semester in a 14-week semester in a class that meets for a little more than an hour once a week. So all the, this work has to get done outside the class. And so when I came into Mammoth in January of 2013, I was looking at some of the applied, I'm using air quotes, music courses that they had, music industry courses that they had. And I, I just looked at the syllabus and, and some of these students had taken a previous version of this. And I said, you guys want to do this? And they almost, you know, kind of made skull and crossbone signs. And I said, well, I've got an idea. Why don't we start a student-run record label, and you guys can make a music, and we can go through all the areas that, that are involved in that. And, you know, their eyes widen and their mouths open, so I said, great. So I spent the next couple of weeks talking through all of the roles, all of the positions that are involved in a current-day recorded music company, and all of the, you know, all of the ancillary businesses, all the uh, related businesses that, that typically support them. And then we slot it, students in. Okay, you're an A&R guy. You get to be one. You're a uh, graphic designer. You're, you're a press person and so forth and so on. And, and marketing, digital marketing and, and general manager and, and sponsorship person. Now, let's go through this exercise. And it was kind of a, a ready, fire, aim kind of first semester process, but it worked out great. And it's become a you know, real flagship of the program. But, you know, as you and I know, recorded music companies are just one aspect of the business. But, you know, when we can tie those hands-on practical components into what we're lecturing them, if you will, and I use that term loosely, what we do in the music courses, it really comes together for them. And then outside of that, I'm making sure we have them in front of the right people. We're constantly bringing our industry expert friends down to guest lecture and, you know, have them really, you know, hear from folks in the field about the business and their areas so that when they see these things happen and when they listen in the music and go into shows and watching television programs and, and online programs that, that are using this integrated music and media and data and platform, it's making a little more sense to them. It's also nice because I think one thing 
that would be nice to have come out of music business programs is students who get excited about different aspects of the business. Now, I know it's probably, you know, few and far between that you get someone who just gets real jazzed about publishing. (laughs) But that said, you know, publishing is an incredibly critical part of this industry and a lot of people work in publishing and, you know, it's a very important piece. And so, you know, I can imagine that that's one thing that you guys can really do well is present all the different possible jobs. Because like I said, you know, you walk in the first day, you're like, I'm going to be an A&R guy. Sure. But you walk out at the end of four years going, actually, you know, what I'm really interested in is like digital marketing. That's right. <laughs> or something like that. That's right. And you know, we have a course on the books called The Business of Music, where we, we kind of go through, well, I mentioned 1920, I think we start in 18 something. And, uh, you know, we, we are talking about the first physical product of music, which was what cheap music, right? And and so it was a publishing business, and and how that evolved through vinyl and and radio and and television and uh, all the different formats. And uh, we don't have to go through that, but you know we we do spend some time going through there. But in, in that course, we're talking about publishing and licensing and copyright, and we're talking about record label structure and marketing plans and 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 market research and data. And as you know, it's, you know, it's, that's such a big part of, you know, our business right now. I mean, it's all, it's all driven by data. And no, these guys certainly don't walk in when they're 18 years old and say, I want to be a data analyst at Spotify so that I can <laughs> affect and influence the algorithm so that people are getting introduced to, you know, really good new music. But we certainly spend a little time making sure they know that those roles exist. Yes, absolutely. So speak a little bit about the roles of internships that internships play for your students. Well, it's a big part. It's a requirement. Maybe helpful quickly. So we offer a BA in music that's got concentrations in performance, music education, and music industry. Music industry program is by far the most popular concentration track. But you do earn a BA in music with a concentration in music industry. So you take some theory and piano and, and voice and, and history and literature of music and foundation courses in that Bachelor of Music. And then you'll go down the business of music track, the record label strategies course, the music industry ecosystem, some of the courses we, we talked about so far. And then you'll have choices you can pick between audio production and songwriting and, oh, and arts administration and concert promotion. And then there's this whole module that I uh, helped design with the the dean of the business school when I got there, where they're taking business management, marketing, accounting, and entrepreneurship, and and media law. And uh, there's another one or two I'm forgetting, but you're essentially earning this mini business degree that's focused on the industry of the arts. And a lot of our students do double major, or they'll add a course or two and, and, and earn a minor. But one of the courses in the the pure music business section of of that curriculum is an internship. So they have to go and and, and research and and apply and land an internship in a you know relevant organization or, or situation related to all of what we've talked about this so far. And then then they'll meet in a class once a week. It was with me earlier on. I have a, another instructor now, and they'll they'll exchange kind of experiences with each other about their uh, internships so that, you know, if someone's working at Warner, someone will hear about, a, you know, a corporate music group. Somebody's working at a studio, they hear about that. Somebody's working at a station, an agency, a publishing company. We have or certainly some students working there as well. Everybody gets to hear about all these different experiences. And then, and then we'll go through and talk about some career strategy things. We'll bring in some guests 
make sure everybody's got a resume, a, a good-looking online profile. And then we'll, we'll actually produce this annual industry alumni networking events where I've got recent grads. They graduated before I got there, maybe in, in the early 2000s, up to fairly recently. But they're in the field working, and they're at uh, labels and agencies and tech companies and related businesses. And, and, and then we, we have them come down, kind of panel and talk about what's going on in the business from their perspective. What are they seeing? Where do they think the focus is and where the opportunities are? And students get to hear that from really who are their peers, you know, young execs they can really relate to. And then they exchange all this contact information, and then these students have, you know, another great contact or many uh, other great contacts who they've got the brother-in-ship with because they all went through the same program together in the field, and they can contact for internships and, and employment opportunities. And then when I got there, I certainly went out to some of my friends at the, the labels and tech co's and, and agencies and PROs and arranged for some contact or, or, or even exclusive internship opportunities. And then we keep a whole book and an online list for students when they're doing that research to go get internships that they cannot use as a resource. Wow. Well, that sounds impressive. I'm excited. I want to talk to you more about that, but I feel we're out of time. I don't want to take your whole day. So Joe Rapola from Monmouth University, thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What? No, of course. Thanks so much for asking me. The news was broke, the wind 
left me alone by them lies A kiss on the mouth with hearts that were bound to The news was broke, the witness was dark That was Cascades by Horse Feathers. You're listening to The Future of What. After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. Also, check out our short podcast series about Bratmobile's potty mouth. It's called Girl Germs, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Larry Miller from NYU Steinhardt. Larry, welcome back to The Future of What. Thank you, Portia. Glad to be here. Alrighty. So today we are talking about music education. And I think the angle I'm taking on this is, you know, the music industry is an interesting business in that a lot of people start out without going to school, right? You know, people start labels on their own. People become musicians or artists and sort of get into the business in this sort of sideways manner. But in the last decades, many excellent music schools have started music business programs, yours amongst them. And I think it's interesting to see, you know, what kind of success is being produced, you know, with these more for real music business programs. Excellent question. And I'm glad you're asking the question on the podcast, Portia. So NYU started in the music business program as kind of a freestanding academic program at NYU Steinhardt, which is NYU's School of Culture, Education, and Human Development, and historically the center of most of what is music at NYU in 1976. (sighs) And so... We've been at this for for 44 years, although I'm only here about seven. (laughs) And so the music business program here has weathered many changes, all of the changes that there have been in the music industry. And I even have to say that during the first, let's call it, dozen or 13 years of this century when there was nothing but disruption going on in the, at least in the record label business, Things continued to truck along here and applications for, you know, seats in our programs maintained through that period. However, over the last four years, as the music business, at least on the recorded music business side, has recovered dramatically, although the number of seats that we have available in these programs has stayed the same, the number of applications has really skyrocketed. And you know, I think that the reason is just worth mentioning, and, and that is that in our graduate program, we have both a graduate and an undergraduate program in music business. In the graduate program, I think that 
interest from young people who did college wherever they did it around the world, majored in whatever they did. And about half of those students are from outside the United States now want to pivot toward a growth industry, which for all of them is a passion industry. And so they are using our program, which is the place to do that in New York City as that platform. I think in the undergrad program, regular four-year college, that it's a little bit different in that although applications were always super strong and that we've been tracking in terms of undergrad admissions selectivity pretty much consistent with the rest of applications to other NYU undergraduate programs. In the last couple of years, applications really have spiked, although, as I said, you know, we still have the same number of seats. And so the result is become much more competitive for a seat in our programs. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I think it's exactly what you said. It's become a growth industry. It's become, you know, a place where people are making money again. But I think that's so interesting that you didn't really see a big drop off during the hard times that those of us who've been in the industry for a while went through and remember very well. <laughs> yeah. And I just have so here's sort of a uh, an interesting story that might illustrate the point. I used to get a lot of calls from parents this time of year. And the calls always went something like this. First of all, I could hear the resignation in their voice before they even started talking. And what they were saying was, hey, I've got a kid who's a music kid. Would you please talk to my kid? And what they were really saying to me was, could you please talk my kid out of it? (laughs) And even in those years before the growth of the last several years, what I would say to the parents is the same thing that I would say to the kid. And that was that if the kid is the kind of young person who literally can't imagine taking a breath in their professional career without being utterly immersed in music production and music distribution and music marketing and just the the invention of the future of the music industry, then there's nothing that I or their parent or anybody else can or should say to them to discourage them from doing exactly that because those are historically the kinds of people who become very successful in the music industry. However, in those years in particular, if they had significant doubt about it, I would have encouraged them to do anything else. These days, I don't get those calls so much anymore this time of year because I think the parents understand that this is now a productive and an exciting growth industry that has come raging back over the last four years. And of course, the live music business has maintained its strength even during the entire downtown and the recorded music business. And, you know, music publishing has done well too and continues to you know, do very well. But the focus at the moment seems to be on the recorded music business and what is really just a brilliant resurrection. Definitely. So I'm always interested. When I went, I did a postdoctoral fellowship at the University of Washington and the School of Engineering. And when I went there, I knew nothing about engineering, but I'd heard of like electrical engineering, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, it mm-hmm. turns out there's like a zillion types of engineering. And the one that really caught my attention was something called paper science, mm-hmm. which is basically 
It was invented in the Pacific Northwest because there's so much money in the timber industry. Sure. And it's basically the extrusion of materials into very thin sheets. Mm. So, for example, Kevlar vests, the bulletproof vests, mm. were made using paper science. So my mind just like blew. I was like, oh my God, that's incredible. But of course, I'd never heard of that. <laughs> Does a similar thing happen when kids show up to a music business program? Because I'm assuming everyone walks in the door going, I want to be an A&R guy because that's the sexy job. Yeah. So, you know, not quite everybody, but quite a few of them. Some of them walk in the door saying, I want to be a music supervisor because somewhere along the line, they discovered that that is a job that you can actually have. I love it. Although they may misunderstand what the job actually is. Right. Music supervision, it is far more than just picking the songs for the show. Right. So we have many students coming in who want to go be the head of A&R at any label that you might name or perhaps go start their own. And what they discover is that there is a whole world of opportunity available to them in areas of the business that they didn't even have names for before they got here. And so many of our students are recruited by the top labels, both major and independent, publishers, major and independent, in the live business, on the production and presentation and marketing side, at the Live Nations and AEGs of the world, the sell side at CAA, ICM Paradigm, WME, and other you know top agencies, at every digital music service, and geez, what else have I forgotten? Some of them go off and start their own businesses. Of course, the artist management platforms that are out there and the various independent marketing agencies and, and other places. And oh, by the way, our undergrad degree is a Bachelor of Music degree, which means that students have to take the same music core as somebody who's coming here to do instrumental performance. So they need to be able to survive music theory one, two, three, four, music history one, two, three, air training and keyboarding, as well as the business structure of the music industry, A&R, entrepreneurship and marketing and so on, as well as financial accounting, statistics, you know, finance, macro and microeconomics. So it's an unusual person who would self-select to apply, at least to our undergrad program in particular. And I guess the same is true for our grad program as well. But you know what led me to that comment is that there have been a number of art- artists who have come out of our programs here and gone on to become you know multi-platinum selling, very successful recording artists, writers, producers, and so on. They don't all aspire to be the head of A&R at any label that you might name. Well, and the funny thing is, you know, I come from a very punk background. You know, I was a punk rock drummer and I ran a very punk label and that my husband started as a college dropout. He went to one semester at Evergreen and then decided it was getting in the way of his partying. (laughs) (laughs) And so I sort of came up in a world where we were like, you know, who needs the rules? You know, you don't need to go to school to do this. But I really feel like as I've gotten older and deeper in the business and learned more myself, I think we can do nothing more valuable than teach artists and everybody how much of a business this is. I mean, you know, if you decide you want to be a drummer in a punk band, that's fantastic. You're starting or joining a small business. And, you know, at some point we have to get as many people to understand this as possible. So I've sort of, you know, done a 180 and now I'm I'm 100% on board with 
going to a music business school to get your degree to really take this seriously as an industry because the rest of us who are in it take it seriously. And I think it's important that we all do that. Exactly right. And I think that young people and their families around the world are starting to recognize that. And we have had over the years a large number of students from South America, Asia, Western Europe, and Africa coming to our programs. And although in some cases they stay and go to work in the U.S. business, in much more often their intention and what they have actually done is to go back home and go build the African music industry, the Chinese music industry. Yeah, that has been an amazing thing to watch. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about the importance of internships in your program. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Not super, important super at important. all, right? <laughs> <laughs> super important. So our undergrad students graduate with at least three or four internships. Our grad students graduate with three. And we encourage them to try different things, even if they think they want to go be the head of A&R at Columbia Records. We encourage them to try a couple of different things. Sure, go do something in A&R, but maybe try something in a different context, say, in the live business or in the publishing business as well. But it is absolutely essential for young people starting out in the industry, not only to get a sense of which context they like best, whether you know recorded music, music publishing, artist management, live, or what have you, but to understand, do they like being in a big company or a little company? What area of a big company is of interest to them? Very often, learning what they don't like is as important as understanding what they do like. In every case, to be able to graduate with a really robust network of relationships in the New York music business, but also in the music industry and other places around the world, since many of them study away in other music business capitals around the world, now including L.A. and Nashville, I just can't overstate how important that experience outside the classroom is. It's essential. you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, that is sort of, in my opinion, where my former and current ideologies overlap, right? I think it's incredibly important to have on-the-ground experience. But I feel that way for bands, too. You know, I feel like bands have to understand that they're business, but they also have to understand that you know, is this a job that you want to have? You know, you need to figure that out. It's, I can't tell you how many bands I've worked with who, you know, they go on their first tour and they come back and they say, well, that's that. Yeah. Never doing that again. Yeah. You know, that was horrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you need to, you need to know, you know, what you're getting yourself into True. for in all the aspects of the music business. Yeah. And, you know, not for the faint of heart, but I should add that we are interested in educating the whole person and not just giving them a big dump of information about the industry. You know, we want to produce people who think critically and will be able to manage in all kinds of economic environments, in all kinds of contexts, in all kinds of places around the world, and to be educated about and sensitive to those differences. It's fundamental to the way the world works today in and out of the music business. And so it's something that's very top of mind for us. 
Well, Larry Miller from NYU, I think that that about sums it up for the time we've got today. So thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What? Thank you, Portia. My pleasure. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Horse Feathers and, of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at thefutureofwhatshow.com and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Clark Buckner at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center and is produced by Will Watts. I'm Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. See you next week.